Hi, I'm Eric. And I'm Shalila. And this is Are You Still Watching? A podcast about movies and their place in our culture. And uh, it has been uh, 10 years since we last recorded. I think, you know what the most significant thing that has changed since we last recorded? I think there's more movies that have come out in like the last like bit of time that we recorded than did in the previous year. Yeah. This was the one time we should have kept it going. <laughs> they all came out. <laughs> uh, and I kind of forgot that that happens. Like it just, I, I got used to the pandemic release schedule of what felt like one important movie a year or a month rather. And now we've got three to four happening a week. And it's, I forgot how much it is to keep up. Honestly, we were scraping the bottom of the barrel. Like we did locked down and compared it to Serenity. And now they got like a movie a week and I can't keep up because they're all Oscar material too. So I have to be running to watch them all. Here's why I'm most upset with you about Serenity. Um, it's never stopped being relevant since we watched it. Like, it shows up in every, all, like, I'd say every third movie I watch now, I'm like, this is just Serenity. <laughs> and it's deeply upsetting that you put me through that. Serenity has been, is, and always will be a part of our lives. It's remarkable how ongoingly, like, relevant it is. I feel like I'm in my own video game simulation, and I don't enjoy it. Um, But, uh, uh, yeah, there is definitely a lot of, new stuff coming out so what have you seen lately like what's what's been the last i don't know how long has it been it's been like a month plus what, what, what have you seen over the past two months venom venom 2 let there be carnage i can't believe and we're not doing that today makes me feel like we have to go back to it <laughs> we owe it to ourselves dune dune of course i've seen the french dispatch i've seen of course no time to die i saw i saw that weirdly that uh netflix jake gyllenhaal movie the guilty mm. i think including Eternals, that probably covers everything fairly recently that I've seen in theaters. What about you? Similar-ish list? Yeah, you've got me. I did not see French Dispatch. Um, I got tickets to see it three separate times and then just canceled three separate times. I uh, AMC A-list, so I'm not paying three separate times, thank God. But um, I don't know why. <laughs> like, I feel like... I didn't see the movie, so I can't speak to its quality, but it does feel like it's a little bit of a reflection of its marketing that every time I went to reserve tickets, I then decided that there was something better to do than see French Dispatch and that something better was like be at home. Like I wasn't like putting out a fire, you know? So I, I feel like it's, I don't know. Something about that seems like it's a problem. Uh, but yeah, I have not seen that. I have not seen the Jake Gyllenhaal one. Um, what did we see? Uh... Jesus, I feel like I've all but forgotten. Um, I definitely saw Dune, uh, which I feel like at some point we're going to have to do an episode on because, like, the internet still hasn't stopped talking about it, um, even though I'm ready to move on. Spoiler alert for how I feel about <laughs> Dune. <laughs> um, uh, uh, yeah, we saw Dune. We saw Eternals, obviously. Um we saw No Time to Die. We saw... Here we go. Now I got my AMC app up. Um, uh, apparently, I have tickets for Ghostbusters Afterlife that I didn't go to. Whoops. Um, that was on the 17th. So, <laughs> missed that one by a mile. Uh, <laughs> let's see. I saw Spencer. Um, uh, uh, Last Night in Soho. 
of which I have three separate reservations. Man, I've been having a hard time getting there. The last duel. This is why Movie Pass failed. But go on. <laughs> yeah, it really is. Uh, uh, the last duel, free guy. But I saw that like super late. Oh um, yeah, me too. Me too. I forgot about that. Yeah, I mean, I you know I saw it in October and it had been out for what four months at that point. And then uh, Shang Chi is probably. Oh yeah, that too. That's that's probably like it as far as what would be even relevant to talk about now. Um, uh, yeah. Anything else is so old that the AMC app won't even show it to me. It's like, you don't get to know. Um, it says I saw the green Knight in theaters, but that's a lie and a half. So yeah, that's it. That's, that's what I've seen in theaters. I think the biggest difference there is probably Spencer and last night in Soho. Um, however, I did have the truly, truly wonderful opportunity to go to a movie festival, which I've never done. Um, deeply, deeply loved that. Went to the Chicago Critics Film Festival here in Chicago, obviously, um, hosted at the Music Box. And we went, we got passes for Friday, Saturday, Sunday, um, so we could see every movie basically. And it was absolutely wonderful. Um, yeah, I've always wanted to go to a film festival, never had the chance, never had like the accessibility to it mostly. Um, other than when I lived downtown. In the Axis building, as you will well remember, Shalila. Um, I could never forget. You could never forget helping me move into there. Uh, 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 they The Chicago Film Festival, which is separate, is hosted at the AMC Theater right near us down there. Um, but the Chicago International Film Festival, I think is what it's called. But uh, the tickets for that, like, that's like a, that's a honking festival. <laughs> that's like a, you know, <laughs> that's a Sundance Toronto equivalent kind of one so the tickets for that one are way more expensive and the passes for that one like are amazing like you can basically see like 60 films for the price of a pass but the price of a pass is also like you know i'd have to give up rent for a little bit so uh that that's sort of the dream one day is that i'll go to that one but anyway all that to say it was really really wonderful i had such an amazing time the music boxes the best theater in Chicago and is just such a wonderful like environment and community to be in. And there's so much energy to it in a way that there just isn't in big box theaters. Um, I've never used that phrase before, but I kind of like it. Can we TM that? TM, 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 big box theater. I'm going to take that. Um, Yeah. So we saw all kinds of stuff. We saw uh, the lost daughter, which is Maggie Gyllenhaal's directorial debut. We saw, Oh my God, I'm going to forget. We saw a bunch of shorts, which I don't ever watch usually. That was really fun. Um, some really good ones, including one out of Chicago called The Magical Gift Shop, The Magic Gift Shop, something like that, um, about a guy who who runs a gift shop out of his suitcase, and he just like travels around Chicago selling stuff out of his suitcase. Uh, and it's absolutely hilarious. Really, really well done. Um, oh, Jesus. We saw uh, Bell which is an anime film. And I got to tell you, I know this is like, we're jumping the gun on talking about this, but it might be my top movie of the year. It's so good. That good. I cannot highly recommend it enough. Uh, it is called Bell. It is releasing in the United States in January. I think it is releasing in France and thereby, I assume the rest of Europe. I don't know if that's true, but I assume in December, um, it's already out in Japan, obviously, and it's incredible. It's it's uh, 
I, like the easiest comparison is to say, and obviously by its name, you could guess, like, is Beauty and the Beast, which is true. Um, it's sort of like Beauty and the Beast met up with Ready Player One and actually decided to tell an interesting story. <laughs> like, I, I just, I don't know how else to describe it, but it's, it's beautiful. The animation is mind blowing. Um, and it is some of the best storytelling I've seen all year. So that was a great one. Um, we saw The Novice, which was a really, really incredible directorial debut. Um, and has the gal who played the orphan from The Orphan in Black, maybe? I don't really know much about it. I just saw the cover and it always scared me at the store. Um, but the little girl on the cover of that, <laughs> she's is, in it. Isabel she... Furman? Isabel Furman. her name? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. And she was... Hello from The Hunger Games. Oh, yes. Yes, yes. Uh, that's much more accessible. Uh, <laughs> uh, 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 no, no, no. Cool. I'm more familiar with um, Orphan, amazingly. She's incredible in it. I It instantly made me ex- – like, I cannot wait to see what Isabel Furman does with her career because um, it was an incredible performance from her. Uh, we saw uh, – I can't remember them all. I'm forgetting now. But I think the final one we saw is the Red Rocket. Uh, it's not called the Red Rocket. It's just called Red Rocket, which is um, – uh, 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 what's his face? Who did uh, the Florida Project's next movie? Um, I'm forgetting his name right now. It's not Ty Sheridan, but something like that. And um, it was ridiculously funny and just so good. So anyway, that was a, a really, really fun experience. And I really recommend anybody from the Chicago area, if you get a chance next year, go. The The baseline tickets are like 12 bucks for a, for to see a movie, obviously. Um, but I recommend getting a pass if you can. They're remarkably cheap considering what you're paying for and uh yeah it was just a really really cool experience so yeah that was that was my most movie filled weekend in a while it was very spiritual that sounds lovely i'm glad you were able to go it was like being back you know what i mean like it it really felt like kind of coming back to movies in the kind of the best way i can think of of just surrounded by people seeing movies that aren't it's not necessarily going to be a marketing draw um people so you're just sort of there for the sake of loving the idea of it all. Um, and uh, yeah, it was it was delightful. So highly recommend. And I can't wait to go see another film festival if I ever get the chance because, man, what a cool experience that was. So that's that. Uh, I guess you and I can get ready for our – we can put in for press passes next year and go to Sundance. That'll be our like – we'll start at basically no festivals and then go right to the top. Yeah, I think that sounds like a plan, to be honest. I'm, I'm in. <laughs> uh, yeah, those tickets are absolutely wild, but that's okay. Have you in the watched meantime, Mr. Bean's Holiday, right? I have not watched Mr. Bean's Holiday. I you did not grow up Bean's with Mr. Holiday? Bean. No, I was introduced to Mr. Bean in college. And uh, to me, Rowan Atkinson was the guy from Love Actually. And it turns out everyone else knew him as very famous comedy actor Rowan Atkinson. Now that is just nuts to me. <laughs> who knew boy uh, oh boy yep well I recommend you watch that movie it's wonderful cheerful and joyful and sweet and funny and can lift your mood no matter what you're going through but it's about in a sense it's kind of about a film festival and getting into one in a comical but not slapstick way oh, all this to say fun. watch it watch it sometime soon I think it might bring you contextual joy and also just general joy because it's getting dark now all the time. You know what that kind of reminds me of, uh, just from the sound of it, is the um, Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Yeah, similar vibes. I, like, I not at all, but it. kind of. Yeah, I hadn't seen it in it until a few years ago. And I was really shocked by, like, 
it seems like it's actually a pretty good movie if you want to get an idea of like what it's like to try to get a movie made. Like it, it's like a weirdly mm. inside look at like Hollywood and was also surprisingly like honest and deep about things while also being obviously very funny and like a little bit of slapsticky, but not I don't know. Like it wasn't it wasn't ridiculous in the way I thought it was going to be. So uh, it kind of seems like that's a genre of comedy that I don't really see much anymore. Um, I don't know that much about either Rowan Atkinson or the man who played Pee Wee Herman, whose name I don't think is Pee Wee Herman. Uh, <laughs> I feel very confident that that's not the case. Uh, but um, I don't know. They seem like in similar vibes to me for some reason. So apparently his name is Paul Rubens. I, I would not have been able – I would have failed at that bar trivia question. Um but undoubtedly have heard the name. I bet he does not like to be called Pee Wee Herman. Uh, virtually none of this has to do with the Eternals. <laughs> but I was waiting okay. to see how you would pivot us because this is your job. It's um, not mine. Yeah, the, the pivots are always mine. And this time around, uh, I chose the uh, Kool-Aid Man method, which is you just immediately break into it. Like instantly, <laughs> you're just like, screw it, we're here now. The Eternals. <laughs> you attack on Titan their way <laughs> That was the sound of... Arashem the Celestial. That was my best impression. That was pretty good, actually. Thank you. Uh, yeah, so our movie today is The Eternals. Uh, Chloe Zhao is The Eternals, uh, the newest entry into the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which came out in early November and uh, was, and I think still is kind of being debated kind of a lot. Uh, I don't know. I want to see if you agree with this. I think this is the most contentious Marvel movie that I can think of uh, that has released any time recently, I think maybe ever. Oh, 100%. Yes. I don't, I don't know that there's an argument around that. It's, it's wild. And I, I don't even mean, I think there's lots of social things too, which I'm sort of, I'm going to kind of ignore those because I think a lot of that is just bad faith argument. Like it's not interesting. Like people upset that there are uh, gay people in this movie. Like that's not an interesting thing. But I'm more about, like, the quality of it and, like, is it or isn't it good? I This is by far the one that I don't know if I've ever seen one so contentious. Like, and I guess the Rotten Tomatoes reflects that in a way. Like, you know, people made a big deal about the score being really low. I think it's the lowest of any Marvel movie. It is. And I feel like that's always a good time to remind people that, like, again, what Rotten Tomatoes is showing is the percentage of critics that rated it three stars or above not like an average score. So to me, what that really shows again is like proof. Like, no, that's contentious then. <laughs> like that it's almost, what is it? Like 60 something percent? I think so fully, like uh, basically a little bit over half thought it was at least three stars, which is generally considered like good or above to not versus like everyone kind of universally saying this movie was at least fine, which is what mm, it's 47%. Uh, Ooh, that dropped, score. that dropped even yeah, more than I thought. Went down. I just, I, I really find that fascinating. I think this is an interesting, like, let's put it this way. I feel like we have more to talk about with this than I do even Shang-Chi or Black Widow because they were so, I, there were some novel things here and there, but by and large, I feel like they were by the book Marvel and this is not including in how we might feel about it. So I'm excited to kind of dive in and, and see what you thought about it. Yeah, me too. So I guess we can kick it off per usual with just some, uh, 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 if you don't want any spoilers, um, I would suggest stop listening here soon. Um, 
we'll give you like our quick spoiler free take uh and then uh feel free to come back after you've watched the movie but um big picture for me spoiler free is uh i think the eternals is a really really i think it's an incredibly ambitious and novel attempt at making a marvel movie that is toying with a hell of a lot of themes and and really wants to be doing a lot in so much as it almost feels like it could be its own separate franchise completely. Like if it didn't have Marvel attached to it, it could have just been its own thing. Um, and I think that it does not succeed in almost anything it does literally across the board. I don't <laughs> think it succeeds, but it sure as hell tries. It just swings and it swings hard. Um, and uh, yeah, I always appreciate that. So um, it ended up as a, a, uh, three star for me. I liked it. Um, but I think even then, uh, I think I was being a little generous. I think depending on my mood, it may fall between an it's fine, which is two stars for me too. I liked it three, um, which I guess some people would call two and a half, but I don't believe in halves, not in this house. And that isn't the first time you've said that even on this podcast. Nope, <laughs> nope, nope. nope. <laughs> Despite also like arguing for it's like why it should exist in that same sentence. <laughs> Uh, Shalila, what about you? Yeah, I, and this is so, so frequently the case, I feel strongly the same that you do, uh, that, that, um, this movie is kind of fine. It's, it's fine. It is, it it literally is two and a half stars for me because I do in this household believe in half stars (laughs) as I like to extend the scale that is usable to me as much as physically possible. I thought it, it felt like it tried to bite off more than it could chew but ultimately is a pretty unique experience. So so in no way bad, in no way sort of, you know, kind of negative in any sense. Just there's a lot going on. It's kind of cool to watch. Not sure it's going to land depending on what you were expecting, but still cool to see Marvel trying this. All right. So again, that is the end of our spoiler-filled review. So let's jump into spoilers. Um, I think we have to start with probably the most important stuff here at the very front, which is which of the uh pretty like intense levels of uh uh which couple really got you the most? That's my question. <laughs> Let's start with the most important thing. This is Marvel's hottest movie, which is saying a lot because it's not you know. <laughs> It's pretty tame in the scope of things, but for Marvel, this movie may as well be like soft porn. Um, I thought you were talking about literal temperature because there's, the sun is in this no. movie way more than it needs to be. That's true. The sun is in this movie a lot. No, no. I'm talking about the actual romances here. I want to know which, which, what stuck out to you. Which is the one that got you? Because I feel like everybody has their favorite, like, these are the. this is the one that I was drawn to, and it says a lot about them. So I want to know what is the one that got you? This is a very funny personality litmus test to me because I don't think any of them like mattered to me at all. I'm going to be so honest with you, like absolutely no None relationship of them. mattered to me in this movie. They were fine. Like, I don't know. I thought I thought Brian Terry Henry and his husband would, was was cute, but like wow. Not even I was expecting you to be more into Barry Cogan and Lauren Ridloff, Drig and Macari and their little uh, cutesy interactions. They were a couple? I don't know. Well, 
I don't know if they're explicitly a couple, but they're very, very flirty, obviously. And they have all those little cutesy moments, you know? So I thought that was more in that, hey, it's been many, many thousands of years that we've been alive and he can interpret my signing better than anyone else rather than like we are in love. I don't know. That's fair. I haven't heard this take before. I like that. Because I made it up, Eric, and I don't know that it (laughs) holds any any merit. (laughs) No, I like that, though. I hadn't actually thought about, because you do see him signing, but I hadn't considered that he might be hearing her thoughts. I hadn't thought that. Because they don't, like, I guess it does come up in the movie that he does hear their thoughts sometimes, but it doesn't seem to be very, I don't know. I hadn't really considered that before. Hmm. Now you've made me ponder. Um, well, that was a relationship that was a didn't fine matter answer. to me at all. Was which the one? main one, which I think they were trying to sell us all on, because those two people couldn't have been flatter to me in any sense. Which the two? Do you mean Gemma uh, Chan? Well, that's true. I would say Gemma Chan with either of the Game of Thrones men both fell flat to me. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I would agree. Yeah, um, that's why I was kind of wondering because I feel like neither of them did it for me. Um, I guess it shouldn't be a surprise considering they worked together previously, but that scene where, uh, 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 uh Kit Harrington and Richard Madden meet kind of felt like they had more chemistry than, uh, Joe Chan did with I was them. like, ah, this starts once again. Even if it's, even if it's like negative chemistry, I was still like, damn, these two are feelings about each other and they may not be positive. And then whenever Jim and Chan was interacting with them, I was like, I don't, this just kind of feels like I'm supposed to be on board. Um, the thing I liken it most to, and since you already brought up Hunger Games, I know that you'll be in touch with this, uh, all of her interactions with her romantic interests felt a lot like whenever they had Jennifer Lawrence interact with either of her romantic interests in the Hunger Games series. Yep. Where, as far as I can tell, it's just that they are like, no, you have to be on board because this is the protagonist. So you're supposed to like them. Like. You need to feel good about this as opposed to there being actual like organic connection between them. Yeah, there's that line in one of the Hunger Games books, I think towards I think towards the end, like in one of the last books or something where she's like, oh, I got to choose. Like, I have to pick one of these two to be with. And, you know, they've both got stuff working for them and against them. And then she's I think it's like the last line of some chapter. And she's like, the choice is simple. I would be fine without either of them. Or something, something like that. Like I'm slightly paraphrasing, but I feel like that was the only time they were representing her interest in the two men accurately. Where I was like, yeah, I honestly don't think she cares, <laughs> which is also how I feel here. Like I, I don't know. I, I mean, everything Gemma Chan said felt like she cared, but I didn't didn't see it. I didn't either, and that's so weird. Like, I we we're kind of foreshadowing what I think is something we're probably going to touch on a lot, which is. Like, I really like Chloe Zhao as a director. She's very, very good at what she does. This is her weakest movie by a long shot, which is by saying so something. Much. But still, like, I mean, like, you know, it's still better than a lot of people's movies. Like, let's be clear. But it was so weird to see that because she's so good at making chemistry out of very little. Like, uh, as an example for folks who may not have seen her other movies, uh, my favorite of hers is still The Writer which was one of her first kind of big movies, uh, for lack of a better word, big in festivals. And 
there's a guy in the I mean, the chemistry between a guy and a horse, not in like a weird way, is was so much more than Gemma Chan and anybody else on the screen. Like, I, I truly believe that actor would have died for that horse in like a Viggo Mortensen way. <laughs> like, I just, <laughs> it was so palpable and it just wasn't there in this. And it really reinforces to me that it's just not Marvel's priority ever. Like, I, I really think the only reason it works where it does for Marvel is either because the actors already have a kind of built-in chemistry or they've just had enough time. Like, the reason we're kind of okay with RDJ and Gwyneth Paltrow is that was their, like, 12th time out together. So there's just, like, time and history and, like, that works versus something brand new. It just kind of falls flat. Um, yeah. But I, the, here's my counterpoint, though. There were other relationships in this movie that I deeply cared about. Like, regardless if it was romantic, I loved whatever was going on uh, uh, between Druig and Makari. I thought it was absolutely adorable. Loved it. Uh, my number one, though, no question, uh, was uh, uh, Angelina Jolie uh, and uh, 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 Don Lee. That was just incredible. Um, I don't – I wouldn't call it romantic necessarily, but it really – there were just times in the movie where I sort of – it reminds you of like why great actors are great actors where they didn't have a lot going on necessarily. And with the very little real estate they had, it felt like they were just walking all over the place, like over everyone else um, in such like little tender ways. I really liked them. Yeah. So I I obviously agree most pointedly with what you were saying about them being – very, very good veteran actors who know how to carry whatever they're given. My issue is that they were given so little that there's only so much they can do, which again, they did it all. They did all they could. And they were physically in the movie so little that I don't, I don't know that I could even say it touched me. Like it was so little. If you stitch together their scenes, like what would you get? Like Interesting. four minute montage i'm uh, not, not saying again the viola davis argument is that you barely have to be in a movie to make an impact i understand that but <laughs> the viola davis argument <laughs> listen we're making principles I in like today's that. episode but it was just not enough man and and also part partly because there was again this is something we'll probably talk about so much going on in this movie and so many darn people that it didn't have the chance to make the impact that i think you felt for me so I'm, I'm super happy. I wish it did because when they were on screen, I was like, it's almost there. I'm almost I'm almost touched. But I wasn't quite. No, that's interesting. I think that's fair because, you know, and I, I don't know what that maybe the difference is just whatever our personal mileage. I don't know. But I will say that where I feel like I agree with you is the only thing it left me with besides a, a general feeling of like, wow, that was really sweet was, God, I wish I got more. And I don't know. I think there was a time in my life in which I would have said that's what a movie is supposed to do. And I don't know if that's true anymore. I, I kind of feel like that means your movie didn't actually succeed. Um, like you can want to see more, but if you felt like you were missing something, like I just didn't have enough. I really wish they had their own Disney plus show. I would happily watch nine episodes of Don Lee and Angelina Jolie just sitting in the Australian Outback together. Yeah. Hard seconded. Yeah. Oh my god, I would watch that. I loved it. I don't uh, screw Marvel. Make it its own thing. I don't care. Make it a completely different thing about them living together. 
I just loved the two of them together. They had such wonderful chemistry. But maybe that's a sign of that failure that is like I wanted more not because I was indulging but because I was starving. And I like I, it's sort of a, a interesting difference. And I again, I think at one point I would have said that was a good thing. And now I just don't think that's true. Can I use this as an opportunity to dive into my one of my bigger like main qualms with this thing? Because I, yeah, I think you're going to share at least some of it. So I, I think the most special thing about their relationship is that, uh, again, they have the, 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 the experience and the caliber of, of being such incredible actors, both so, so, so sort of known in their, their fields, their countries, where they can carry, you know, like if there's, if there's a subtle message to deliver, they'll deliver it, like even if they're not given the time to play with it. And I think the message there was supposed to be like whatever they have between them, like whether it is still love, <clears throat> it was love, it's, you know, foreverness, whatever they've got because it's, you know, thousands and millions of years of togetherness he sort of you know she's the one who says or is going through the whole like her brain is crumbling under the weight of her memories and he's and and, you know she doesn't want to wipe them because she will seize to essentially like ship of theseus style be her right and like kind, kind of wants to remember who she is and then he takes on the sort of duty in a sense of saying well when she forgets who she is and starts like attacking all of us i'll i'll help her remember i'll stop her right so it's kind of like a like a caretaker role in a sense yeah yeah and i think like obviously that's the point right like that's that's a big unique dynamic of the relationship and it's very cool and very special like that is a cool cool theme in a movie like this about like people who live forever right but goddamn they just barely could explore that like there were just like two or three times where she would start you know the fighting and then again there was so much going on and you barely remember where you are and or at least this is me not to speak for you and you're like well okay she's attacking them now i wish we had like a second more to think about like how he's approaching stopping her how she is you know dealing with this conflict like we barely got like maybe like a one minute like scene where she was reflecting all this to say, like, it's one of the, like, six, seven super, super cool themes where I was like, but we barely got to freaking explore it. <laughs> like, she, you know, her whole, her brain is crumbling under her memories. There's a whole thing about, like, Sprite being, like, an, an immortal, uh, like, adult trapped in the body of a child, right? Which yeah. is a super, super interesting theme, too. Like, why, why is she made like that? Like, why... You know, how, how difficult must it be to go about the earth, like having to exude childlike sensibilities, but being like one of the most mature people to ever be created because you're immortal. Then the whole like Edward Cullen. Whew, I mean, and he went to date a teenage girl. So that's different. <laughs> the whole like, you know, I, there's so much like, like the deviants like being I mean, the, the Eternals being like, you know, kind of a lie, like thinking that they're there for the deviants, but it's really the celest- Celestials and stuff. Even the concept of like, the celestials bringing to light bringing life to the universe in exchange for like what is considered like a small sacrifice if like a planet every every now and then like yeah. giving the whole idea of like should you give humanity access to technology if it's going to cause like you know millions of deaths and like do you, should should you give humans free will or in exchange you know for like they will start fighting each other versus like what if you just control all their minds and they, they were essentially slaves, but were at peace. Like all of these really cool themes. Yeah. Where I was like, well, they're so freaking cool, but you didn't give them the time because you bit off so much, and we only got like a second to see you like cry over a nuclear attack, and and then we moved on to like the next thing, and it was a big action scene, and I forgot what was before. 
No, I'm with you. I, I, one of the feelings I came away with here was like, um, I felt after, I felt after Shang-Chi that I would really want to explore more of this world through Disney plus. And this movie felt the other way around. I really wish I had gotten to explore it first through Disney plus. Um, I, I, I agree. I think it's, it's biggest fundamental flaws. I just think it's doing too much. I, I really do. I mean, it's, it's, it really is swinging for a lot and it's not set pieces in the same way that like Endgame or infinity war were where the reason that they are so packed and they're so long, you know, each of those movies is, is over two hours. I think nearing two and a half for both is they're doing a lot, but it's because it's a culmination of a lot of things. And by a lot, we mean like they've got these really big set pieces they need to hit. And this wasn't really that like they exist, but that's not the point. The point was all these themes and, it's just too many. And, I, and I'm, I'm with you. I don't really know why they didn't do this as a Disney Plus show in which every episode is a different time period showing as they're traveling through, giving us a lot of good real estate so that we can actually work with Sama Hayek. Like, I don't know why she's in this movie, really. She she just left so yeah. early. I mean, they really, really wasted Disappears. her. Disappears. Yeah. And, I, you know, she's great. And I would have loved to see more of her. And I especially would have loved to see more of her in Icarus. I think there's a lot of yeah. really interesting, like, relationship there that is – there's way too much about this movie that requires you to infer. And I don't – I think that's always a failing. I, I, I really do. I think the more a movie asks you to infer something outside of just, like, baseline, like, you know, you don't need to understand why the powers work. You can infer that it's, it's fake science. That's fine. But if you need to infer a relationship, I think that's a mistake without there being sort of good foundation. And I don't think they had it. Um, Yeah, I really wish we'd gotten to see more because I, you know, like what you brought up, like there's just so many different things they're they're exploring largely around themes of religion, right? Across the board, religious determinism or uh, 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 religious, like the morality of the God kind of concept um, or even like the... uh, uh, omnipotence of a god concept all these kind of things that they're touching on which is a wild to see in a marvel movie and b like really ambitious and and i think worthy worthwhile to explore in a in a cool fun blockbustery way but i just think they it was way too much um i honestly feel like you could have cut this movie at the jungle scene with the fight with the deviant yep when uh when she inadvertently kills gilgamesh um, I really feel like that could have been one whole movie. Like you could have just run this up to then and had a, I don't know, whatever. I don't know if it's a cliffing or whatever. And then stuffed out a really good second entry in which you've dealing with the larger, larger stuff. But yeah, I, I honestly, I think the place this becomes most obvious, and this is what I, I'm going to point to is it's not the biggest feeling in the movie. I think we already talked about that. It's more like the canary in the coal mine of the movie is the deviants. The deviants are essentially pointless by the end of the movie. They're literally MacGuffins. They end up being MacGuffins. Yeah. And they, they very much feel like they are the point in the beginning, which is fine. I get that because they're they're the red herring, right? We're meant to believe that they are the villain when in fact we're going to have the the uh, uh, kind of core gripped out from under us and it's actually going to end up being the Celestials. That's all good. But... We spent so much time on uh, 
the deviant who gains consciousness, which again also feels like it should have been a much bigger thing in the movie, like thematic that we talk about of Oh my god, yeah. We just gave consciousness to a creature that we had previously deemed as nothing but evil. Um and given it like in other words, does it have free will now? Did it before? What does that mean? Can you still kill it? Does that still hold value to you? Because it now gets to choose and speak and, and act. Like there's just all kinds of basic whatever, religion 101 theocracy questions at play here, uh, or theological questions rather at play, that they just sort of ignore. And then he just dies, like unsummarily after a kind of lackluster battle with Angelina Jolie that felt like they probably cut a lot out. Um, He just dies and that's it. They never like, there's not like any sort of, I don't know, there's no resolution to it. He's just dead. And it really renders the entire Deviant plotline as completely pointless. They could have arrived at all of it without it. And and I don't know why you have it then. Yeah. I, I, it felt – every single thing you said is so true. It felt like there was a bunch of ideas. They were all really cool. And the thing is that it should have been apparent at an earlier point in producing this movie that they couldn't do justice to all of it. Like I don't, I don't understand, frankly, how – they went ahead without making some pretty big decisions. Like whether that be like, hey man, like even just looking at this finished draft of the script, this is not going to be a movie. Like we got to do, I don't know, a show building up to explore the thousand plus year relationships between these people. So people are prepared and go in and just experience the action. Or like, man, and this is this would have been my pitch at some point, super early on. We can't do ten Eternals. We just can't. We can't yeah. do ten. We, that's way too yeah. many. We got to do like five. I, and I understand that that would be changing so much, uh, and also I guess c- cutting off and killing half the relationships, which are you know some of the most beautiful things that were written in, like like how how these like really really unique relationships form after all of these years and all that you can share with with a person that I guess we'll never know over like literal millennia right and all of that stuff I can't believe there was no decision making where they said hey look we're just not going to be able to do justice to the like 19 themes and 15 people and we have to think of a way around it because Marvel does not struggle with well I'm not saying they don't have issues but that's not some of the things that I've seen them struggle with like They've planned their slates in such ways, like, I don't know, split up the movie, do something. Um, it was weird. It was weird that they thought they could accomplish all of this because that's, like, that's just not true. And I want to bring up something specific, which is that, like, you you remember the movie The Old Guard on Netflix? Yeah, I never saw it, um, but I do. I, I need to get around to it. The Charlize Theron one, right? Yeah, it's just yeah. this movie, but done really well. Even Actually, even saying it that way is, like, a reductive description it's they're very different movies naturally but that movie is a standalone film right like i guess now it's maybe getting a sequel but only because it got so popular that everyone asked for it squid game style like they never planned a sequel they were i mean i think they the last scene is like hey man this could be but they weren't like the cat they didn't have the cast locked down or anything it was meant to be mostly a one movie thing right get lucky they get another but it's a one movie like standalone film it's not it's not a crazy length it's pretty decent if i remember correctly it's not like i don't know over three hours but it's a similar kind of story it's like a a group of people who are immortal and are put on earth to protect the good people and you know i don't know get rid of the bad ones and fight the good fight etc and they you know have shared relationships as you will if 
your small group of immortal people and went their own separate ways, had to reunite for something, et cetera, et cetera. Like there's lots of similar themes, but gosh, do they do it so well. Like they explore all that needs to be explored because they just don't bite off more than they can. Like they tell one story and I understand that's not Marvel, <laughs> but it, it made me think the whole time I was like, well, you know, it's possible. It's possible to think of this crazy big universe and pitch it and deliver it in a standalone film and not overwhelm yourselves, frankly. So I don't know. It was weird. Uh, I just felt that I expected more from them, to be honest. Which is weird because one of my favorite things about this movie is how distinct it is from the rest of the Marvel Universe. Like, that they didn't really try too hard to connect it. I thought that yeah. was pretty cool. I, I enjoyed it. I was like, you know what? You don't, Everything doesn't need to be like a, a web tied into everything else like Spider-Man is going to be. So it was actually a really... Uh, ha, ha, like, web. Yeah. A web. <laughs> Spider-Man. I bring so much to this Good podcast. pun. <laughs> no, I, I'm with you. I, I I get why they have to put in those lines about like where were you when Thanos was here? Like, I get it from like a marketing perspective. I think the one time was fine, but they kept drawing attention to it in a weird way. And it really, I'm really starting to feel like Marvel is, is sort of creating their own phantom here. Like, I don't think anyone would care if you didn't talk about it. I really don't. Like, I, I, I feel like we can figure it out. You know, like people could just sit down and be like, well, I guess they were elsewhere or in the in the plot of your movie. You can just say like, hey, by the way, they were asleep for the last thousand years and they just woke up. And that's why that's it. You know, where was Shang-Chi? Well, he was just a normal dude. That's why. Like, I, I but they, they sort of keep every time they bring up Thanos's name. It's like they're waving a red flag for you to look at something and then say, don't look over here, though. Don't don't mm. do it though. But they keep waving their arms, so it's like I don't know what you want me to do. <laughs> do you My want me to ignore it or I, no? <laughs> I have actually have a very specific annoyance now with it because they said like you know we talked about this like in the trailer and in the movie. Their whole argument is well, we were instructed not to interfere unless it's about yeah. you know the celestials and deviants and a much much bigger cause than this nonsense. Yep. So I get that. The thing is, then they go on in the movie to explain that, you know, once they learn the truth about their existence and whatever, that their their job, in a sense, is to further the Earth's population to the point where it can, you know, the celestial that's in the core or whatever can yep. be born, right? So the whole point, then, to put it simply, is grow Earth population, which is literally Thanos' anti-mission, right? Like, is delete Earth population, in fact, delete yep. universe population, if he's deleting universe population, he's deleting the host planets for like probably a whole bunch of celestials, right? So yep. how would that not be enough for the, you know, the, the celest celestials to task the darn Eternals with stopping Thanos? Like you can't, you right. can't connect it and then tell me that they literally yep. have the same mission that Thanos is against. That's exactly you can't do that. You can't do it. <laughs> yeah. Stop bringing it up if you don't want us to worry about it. <laughs> like, it's fine. I promise we'll get over it. And they clearly, the Eternals have no problem in other senses interfering with saving lives. Like, they'll just save a yeah. child during an earthquake. So I'm like, well, if you're meddling anyway, then now you've, you've annoyed me. <laughs> you should no, have I'm helped with, with Thanos. I'm with you. Uh, I do want to talk about really quick one of my I – have, I have a really stupid qualm I'm going to bring up later. <laughs> I have like a giant issue with this movie. And by giant, I mean it so doesn't matter. It's truly <laughs> crazy. Um, I have another one that sort of matters. I have, a, I have a ranking list for you. But I want to talk about something I actually like about it first, which is I think its core 
kind of going back to the double-edged sword of, I, I think they were just trying to do too much, but I really do appreciate one of the major themes that, that at least in my opinion was very prevalent in the movie, which was, I think to a degree, this was supposed to be sort of a meta conversation or, or, or meta, um, depiction of the superhero and its relation to its author, or in this case, the company, if you prefer, or Feige, I don't know, like take your pick, but I'm going to say the creator, um, especially given its influences and where it's drawing from largely like Jack Kirby as the artist, um, slash, you know, the authors, um, I really loved the way that they used Arashem, who's the main celestial, who's just for the sake of this podcast and also all my techs, uh, robot god, because um, uh, uh, that's what he is. Let's be honest. He's a giant robot god. Um, I really loved that the way that they sort of – one of the major themes at play to me is that the only the, – the, the, the way in which to gain – essentially freedom or consciousness, if you prefer, or, um, you know, you can sort of insert whatever you want, but it all comes back to this idea of basically throwing off the yoke of a God or a creator or a master or whatever you want to say is found entirely in your relationship to someone else. Because in the act of having a relationship, and that doesn't have to be romantic, like, again, I, I don't think that Gilgamesh and Thena, which is Don Lee and, and Angelina Jolie, I don't think they're supposed to be romantic. You know, he says that he really loves her. And I, like, fully understood that to mean almost like a steward, right? Like a, a someone who just loves someone for who they are and will, like we saw, will die in order to ensure that they are protected. But I don't read that as romantic necessarily versus, obviously, we have, what's their faces, Icarus and... and uh, Cersei? Cersei, that's her name. Her, yeah. Which is yeah. hilarious, by the way. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, uh, 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 but the point is, like, I, it, it very much seemed to be that, you know, their their relationship, the initial inception, then sort of falls down and leads to the dissolution of the group with Druig falling in love with humanity, right, and, and, and everything. So I really loved this idea and this theme of the, the only way – to actually break out of that and more important than your gods or in this case your authors or whatever you want to call it is the relationship between the characters. And I like that a lot. And this is going to sound like just the wildest connection. But Chloe Zhao talked about this very specifically, which is why I'm bringing this up. Long before this movie came out, she joked about the fact that people at the Marvel office were making fun of her in a, in a light, playful way, that she only made this movie – so that she could write fan fiction about her own movie. And she talked about the fact that she couldn't wait to go read the fan fiction of her movie, of which I have no doubt there is now, you know, hundreds of thousands of entries. But I honestly feel like she's, I think there's like more truth to that than was in that joking interview. It kind of feels like maybe that was the point is in other words, it's sort of getting at the idea that like, it is you, the viewer, and at the most extreme, you, the fan fiction writer or the shipper or the headcanon person, like it's your relationship to the characters and how you perceive and interpret and how you write that story that is more important than what the author puts on page. Or in this case, the 
metaphor in the movie, it is more important – your relationship to each other as Eternals is more important than what their god dictates they do. And I love that theme. Like I just think that is an incredible, such an interesting and especially modern with the like uh, fan fiction as like a internet idea as opposed to previous, um, uh, uh, you know, more accessible rather. Um, I just love that theme and I really wish we'd gotten more time to play with it because I think it really is inventive and new in a way that Marvel hasn't really done before. It feels like it fits in the wheelhouse of WandaVision and Loki and and these things that have come before, but not – not never in the in the main screen, and I I loved that. Um, I just wish we got more of it. That's genuinely opened my eyes. I hadn't thought about that in the context of this movie at all. Hmm. It's great. I um, mean, and, and and also like, I think the biggest example of that is obviously the end, right? Like Icarus, Richard Madden breaks away from his, you know, crusade like belief in his god because of his relationship to Gemma Chan to Cersei and and. I think the the callbacks and the flashbacks are supposed to acknowledge that like if she is a good and if he loves her and if she is doing this, then how can it be bad? Which is like mm. the, the relationship paradox and his answer is that he throws himself into the sun. <laughs> like I just – you know, there's just something about that that I really loved. But anyway, that's something I really liked. Um, speaking of throwing himself in the sun, this isn't that important. But uh, this movie is Justice League. It's DC's Justice League. <laughs> And I, I, in the middle of the movie, I was like whirling around looking at Alex and the folks we were watching with like, am I, somebody else has got to be picking up on this, right? Like, uh, and maybe that was Eternals to begin with. I don't know that much about them. Nobody does. They're lying if they tell you they do. But like, in other words, maybe that's what they were trying to do. Maybe that was Marvel sort of like joking, like, hey, what if we did the Eternals? Or what if we did Justice League? That could totally be true. I don't know. But all I know is... Like when they were all standing on the beach together, it became really clear to me where I was like, wait a minute, the guy with the laser vision and the flight and he goes and throws himself into the sun, which is a thousand percent a thing that Superman has done. We've got super fast gal, obviously the flash also really well done with the super speed. Ooh, yeah. Good job, Marvel. Way better than uh, uh, what's his face? Silver speedster. What the hell is that guy's name? Quicksilver. Good. <laughs> Sorry, sorry, Aaron Taylor Johnson. Your character was so unimportant, I couldn't remember it. Um, anyway, they did a good job with that. But uh, uh, Athena, obviously Diana, like all of that is very obvious. But even the thematics of it, to me, felt very like purposeful. Where in this case, they're taking like Icarus. In this case, is the beautiful, handsome, crafted from marble, all American, which is funny. Uh, kind of guy who has the amazing powers and saves the world and everyone loves him, but his devotion to his ideal is literally so fascistically powerful that it is now causing evil, which definitely feels like it's supposed to be a mark on truth, justice in the American way. Like it it just, it feels inescapable to me. Thena is a warrior uh, and they're not going to call her a princess, but I mean, she wears the circlet. I'm, you know, my monkey brain says that's a princess. Uh, uh, She's Wonder Woman. There's no other way around it. But her whole thing is that she's just, she's been a warrior for so long that she's literally like losing her mind and is basically arriving back at, it's it's just nothing but war versus Diana who's, you know what I mean? Like, I I, I just don't know how else to get around the fact that this is- 100%. This was like a Justice League deconstructionist movie 
And I thought that was hilarious that Marvel made a DC movie <laughs> and, and just sort of like got away with it. And I really like that. Well done. Yeah, the, there was there's scenes right at the beginning when they were, I don't know, saving those ch- children in the prehistoric times. And then they'd, they'd peacefully hand the dagger back. Yeah, I yeah. was like, I literally have seen this scene in a, <laughs> yeah. a DC movie. Exactly. <laughs> it's happened already. Exactly. Um, yeah, I liked that. Uh, one quick thing I actually want to know from you. I'm not going to tell you why I'm asking this question because you need to be you need to go in pure. Oh, God. Did you think this movie was dark? I don't mean in tone. I mean, literally, like, lighting wise. Did you feel like the movie was dark? Um, no, I thought it was fine. Damn it. Okay. I have to go see this movie again. That's what I figured out. Because one of my major complaints of the movie is that I couldn't see a goddamn thing. The entire movie. Like, there were parts of this movie that I truly, it is not like an exaggeration. I couldn't make out detail because it was so dark. And I was sitting, especially the scene that really stands out to me the most is, um, it's the, it's the scene in which they're back in, uh, they're back in the past and it's the, the Spanish invasion of, of, uh, Tenochtitlan and, uh, they're watching the, 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 you know, Aztec warriors fight the Spanish and they're having discussions. And during that scene, I remember sitting there first off going, I hate to tell you, but we know where Tenochtitlan is and this is not what it looks like. And two, <laughs> I can't tell who's the Spanish and who's the Aztecs because it's so dark. I literally cannot tell the difference between people. So I don't know who we're supposed to be looking at right now. I don't know who's in the scene. I don't know where we're at. What the hell is going on? crazy deviation but you know whatever nearly a month later we went and saw spencer in the same theater and every 15 minutes during spencer the light like the screen brightness would downgrade by like 15 measures so it looked like the entire movie someone was just like occasionally putting a piece of black construction paper in front of the thing and then pulling it away randomly and after the third time i was like there's absolutely no way this is intentional because it's doing nothing but distracting me and I think what that tells me is that I just watched a very dark version of it because the projector bulb was bad. So that means that I have a lot of negativity about this movie that is unwarranted. So now I feel bad. This is absolutely hilarious. And I'm so glad that myself and by extension, everyone else was here to process <laughs> this with you. I feel bad because it means, again, like I honestly, part of my complaints of this movie was like Chloe Zhao is such an amazing visual landscape director. She does a really amazing job of turning the natural environment into like visual poetry, essentially, and using it as a way to set mood. Why does this movie look like it is entirely cast in shadow all the damn time? It's only gray. And now I feel like maybe it's not her fault. So sorry, Chloe. I'll go watch it again in a better theater, I guess. Oh, man. I hope AMC is listening to this. Uh, I have a very strongly worded email to write because I I just change your bulbs. You're AMC. You're gigantic. You're not like rinky dink mom and pop theater. I don't know how to change it, but I bet it involves unscrewing something and screwing another thing in. I would bet good money. I'll do it for free if you just give it to me. (laughs) I'm just tired of seeing it. Princess Diana's face, she literally was dropping in skin tone. Like the whole movie, it suddenly got dark. Like a grandparent was touching the remote and I couldn't stand it. <sighs> well, this was joyful. I, I'm i so glad I was I was there for that. <laughs> but I, uh, 
as somebody who watched it with probably the adequate and correct lighting, um, I am glad that I was able to experience some of that landscaping. Uh, it is very beautiful. She is indeed very talented and skilled at creating those shots and building mood and messing right. through them. And I saw all of that. So bet now that sucks for you. Um, <laughs> yeah, I really do. <laughs> um, it, it was did. it was very good. I mean, again, I think I think like I said many many times that after that happened like you know a scene would be set way too much would happen again and it would sort of like i would lose the impact that was just created so i wouldn't say it's stuck with me too much but i also have like i mean that's one of the positive things for sure about this movie i've also got a couple more like quickly i i did really like that you know inherently being one of those sort of historical slash altered history sort of mythological movies i love those kinds of movies i think they're really cool I thought even though this movie couldn't explore everything, I liked what it got to explore, like this this part of history, this part of history, like now we're here and now we're here. And I I believe like when they were writing the script, they wanted to have like a whole ancient Greece uh, scene and then this whole sequence in ancient China. And then I I believe they, they had shot a whole extended scene in the like the India part, the Gupta Empire part of the movie where they had then cut, cut it down to just a little bit in the end. But... I like that. I like those kinds of movies. I thought the fact that they got to explore all of that was cool. Um, I think it, it adds to the, the you know the general diversity of the film, which again I, I don't have a second to spare for people who have a problem with that. Um, it was a it was cool. It is a, it's cool to have all those different different things touched on in the movie. I, I don't. I, I it's not like Kumail is my personal hero or anything, but I don't think I have seen like a a Bollywood sort of you know set piece that's stuck around for a while and a cool little depiction of like how you know Bollywood families are so multi-generational all those kinds of things in a movie there for a long time it was good cool. Bollywood jokes in this movie yeah it wasn't bad at all I, I actually yeah. and that and his like his like uh you know he's like filming assistant character and stuff I, yeah. I, didn't, I didn't have a big problem with him I thought he was hilarious so uh, I loved the generational stuff. joke I'm glad you pointed that out because I felt like that was another kind of inside baseball where like unless you're yeah. watching them a little more like that's a really good joke. That was <laughs> like, extremely fun. That was on like yeah. double, like it was a one two punch. Like they just kicked off a BTS song and then they went into a joke yeah. about nepotism in Bollywood. And I was like, this is for me. So thank you. Um, I also yeah. liked, uh, we've, we've briefly touched on this, but I, di- I, I really liked number one, the Makari, the speedster character. I like, you said this too, but super great. Cool. Just the best speedster like yeah. d- depiction I've seen in a long, long, long time. I want to see more of her in general. Loved her. She's so cool. So, so, so cool. Um, I also genuinely liked the sort of meditations on religion through this movie. I, I loved the way you extended that and, you know, the whole sort of viewer character relationship. But even as a just, you know, depiction of religion, I thought it was super interesting. Like how, um, you know, why, why, you know, I feel like anybody who's ever thought about religion or, or, or debated or, or, you know, questioned or, changed or I don't know most people I guess would, would have had all of the thoughts that a lot of these characters went through things like um you know why was I made this way why why can't I have been made differently why was I made at all what is my purpose what what I expected it to be um you know should I make a very tough decision uh what 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 do I think my destiny is like uh should should I have been taught this thing should I would I rather not have free will things like that like yeah I think that was really cool man I I I thought that was a theme that went on enough that like pretty much anyone could have picked up on that and, and had a little little mental journey there thinking about it so 
there's a lot of cool stuff too. Like the, if, if listening to whatever we've been saying over the past hour has in any way sort of dampened it, like there's, I'm sure that everybody who watches this will actually come away with something different that they thought was, hey, that was pretty cool. So that's a yeah. pretty good no, big I, vote for this too. I think that's a good thing to point out. I actually like how you said that. Like, I, I don't think you're going to hate, like, I just don't think there's going to be, there will be something you pull out of this. And I really think it's going to be different than what other people do. Like, it does feel very personal. It just depends on what your mileage is on certain things. If you're particularly interested in theology, I, there's got a lot for you. If you'd rather watch hot people kind of flirt with each other, you're good to go. Like, there's just, I don't know. There's all kinds of stuff. Um, I think you briefly touched on this. I feel like we have to talk about it because the internet wouldn't shut up about it. Were you bothered by Brian Tyree Henry and the bomb? Phaistos and the bomb. The the, the bomb? Yeah. Oh, the, uh, like the when he's nuclear in Nagasaki. bomb. Yeah. The, it bothered by it in what way? Like, am I generally anti-nuclear weapon or like? No, 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 no. <laughs> I mean, the internet made a really big deal. And by the internet, I mean Twitter. So take your grain of salt. But basically, there was a lot of hus, uh, 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 hus and fuss. Uh, I, I don't know what the hell phrase I'm trying to say here. Um, before this movie puff? came out. A lot of huff and puff about how they made Phaistos, who is a – well, he, I, he's not a man, I guess. But in the sense of what Twitter was saying, they made a black gay man responsible for Nagasaki and the nuclear bombing of Japan. That, uh, by America, right? That was essentially what the arguments were. And there was a lot of things of like, this is terrible, etc. And I was very confused by those after watching the movie because within the context of the movie, it makes just utter and complete sense. Like it, it feels very correct to his character and to what happened previously in the movie and his sort of final culmination of a journey of like, technological progress is entirely a moral good and if we just gave them all of the tools they needed they would only do good with it because we gave it to them and instead they made the bomb like that's a very interesting idea and i was very confused by the by the huff and puff by the hubble and bubble <laughs> huffle and puffle if you will by the huffle and puffle <laughs> i could not i could not agree more you said it all i was just confused i don't know like, I it, thought that was not, very clear. It, it is very clear. And also, I don't know why, like, I, I don't know how to tell you this, but his, like, I yes, the actor is black. Like, I'm not disagreeing with that. And the character is, is gay in so much as they show a relationship with what is, I assume you're supposed to interpret as a adult human man, like an adult human male identifying person, and also this robot guy? Played by Brian Tyree Henry because they're not actually people. We find out at the end, right? They're robots or yep. whatever. Yeah. Or at the very least, they're not human people. They just look like right. Humans. They're alien creations that aren't literally even like born. Like they're they're fully molded in a pod. So it was just another confusing. Like I don't know how to tell you guys this, but I don't think that's his primary identity. <laughs> like I think the primary thing is that he's an alien robot, immortal man from another world in this Marvel movie. I just yeah, don't, I don't think I don't he's think going that, to pride. <laughs> I don't think that factors in to like, oh, he can't have made the bomb. I don't think that's it. Like, yeah, very confusing. Um, I have the the last thing I want to say on this movie from my side is I have a complaint about this movie. Oh, hit me. This is a very, very, 
I can't emphasize enough how important this complaint is. And I also can't emphasize enough how much it involves Kurt Russell. Why wasn't Kurt Russell, who's also a celestial, as told to us by the film Guardians of the Galaxy 2, editor's note, if you watch Guardians of the Galaxy 2 and then you watch Eternals, you will also see that these movies are remarkably the same. Largely because, in this author's opinion, they are basically rebooting their movies every time they do the new set. Uh, see an uh, article I once wrote on that about Iron Man and Doctor Strange. Um, now we're going to media res back to the main point. Why in the movie Guardians of the Galaxy 2 wasn't Kurt Russell a giant space robot? Why is Arishim a giant space robot and the new yellow robot who came out of the Earth is a giant space robot and they're all giant space robots the size of galaxies because you see them putting them together. And Kurt Russell was Kurt Russell. And he sat on top of a white spaceship and he flew around like a surfboarder. My, my, my jaw is hitting the ground. Right? They're both Celestials. We know they're Celestials because Chris Pratt's Star-Lord is half Celestial. Uh, Chris Pratt's Star-Lord is not a half robot. He's just Chris Pratt. And Kurt Russell is just Kurt Russell. Also, as a reminder, I just, I'm going to really emphasize this again because I want to point out to people how similar those movies are. And I know most of you didn't watch Guardians of the Galaxy 2. That movie is about how Kurt Russell basically, like, how explicit are we on this podcast? I'm going to not be explicit. Um, It's about how Kurt Russell left a part of himself inside of the Earth. And then he went somewhere else. And that he secretly is turning all biological planets into versions of himself in order to give himself power so that he can continue to be an immortal man, Kurt Russell. And he uses his son... Chris Pratt, who doesn't know he's his son, and he secretly tells him that he's an amazing hero when really what he's doing is using him to further his planet hatching plot. That's the plot of The Eternals. It's also the plot of Guardians of the Galaxy 2. But the most important part is, why isn't Kurt Russell a giant space robot? I need an answer. I need an answer right now from Kevin Feige or somebody because I, I'm not saying this matters. It doesn't matter. But Marvel loves to claim that it's all connected, don't they? You all love to say it. Well, now it's, it's you know, the bills do. The bills come due, Mr. Feige. Why isn't Kurt Russell a giant space robot? Ring, 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 ring. That is the sound of me having just Googled to check if there is a solution here. And indeed, Marvel has made a statement. Um, oh! Yeah. the One of the Eternal screenwriters said... Uh, Hey, yeah, we talked about this at length. And this is such a, this is one of those sentences where you say we are at a press conference and somebody asks you a difficult question that you have absolutely not thought about before, but you got to sound super prepared. This is what he said. We talked about it at length, but it's one of those things where I think that maybe Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 will have something to say about it. (laughs) Just hilarious. He says, uh, he says, (laughs) Uh, I wonder whether or not Russell's ego, the living planet, is actually a celestial. Ego's a really fascinating character. Whether he's lying or not, that's a question. <laughs> Which, again, couldn't come off more vague. Interesting. And he basically says that um, the Eternals, in as far as the MCU is concerned, they are yet to meet Ego, and they don't even know who he is. And was he an imposter? He added, I don't know, but I'm excited to see James Gunn's The Guardians 3 as much as you are, which sounds like he was like, yeah, that's a good question. Toss to James. <laughs> so at least they've acknowledged it. 
Interesting. Okay, so here's what I'm getting from that. Classic Marvel, which I love, which is that they continue. Uh, I really do. I appreciate this about them on like a company perspective. They're they're master con artists in this way. <laughs> they love to act like it's all connected, and they do a really good job of after the fact draw like putting red uh, uh, yarn between two things and being like ah. These are the same thing, huh? And you're like, wow, it really is. Good job. But in the time of making it, they're 100% not thinking about it ever. So, like, they made Guardians of the Galaxy 2 and they were like, yep, Kurt is Celestial. What's that? Doesn't matter. It's a cool word, though, isn't it? You're going to like that, won't you, audience? You you eat this. Eat this movie, you greedy little audience. And then we did. Now and go then, take this sandwich voucher that doesn't work. Yeah. Go back. And then a couple years later, Chloe Zhao was like, what if I did a chosen movie? And they were like, that's cool. And she's like, it's going to have Celestials. And Kevin Feige was like, I haven't thought about the word Celestial in eight years. So that sounds good. And she's like, they're going to be giant robots. And he's like, sounds good. (laughs) And then at some point, the writers were like, oh, damn it. Kurt Russell was just Kurt Russell. He wasn't a robot. What do we do? And their answer was, James Gunn will figure it out, I bet. <laughs> we won't. We won't, though. Which is We're not the just first time somebody just down the tossed road. a huge like, burden, <laughs> like a gigantic rock into James Gunn's yep. waiting hands. And he's just like, well, yep. what am I supposed to do with this? Kicked that can right on down the road. Um, Man, I'm such a sucker. You read that and I instantly got excited. God, I'm such a shill. Here's why I'm excited. If that's true, oh my god! All right, are you ready for this? We're gonna we're gonna have a nerd power hour for the next thirty seconds. Eric, that's that's what we've done since the day we were born. We're gone. <laughs> Confirmed for Guardians of the Galaxy three is Adam Warlock, a character that I know very little about, played by a guy who used to be not very good looking, who now looks very good, which is mean to that actor. But listen, I also did that, buddy. I mean, I'm not as hot as you, but, you know, we see eye to eye is the point. You can cut all that out. (laughs) Here's the point. Guardians of the Galaxy 3 confirmed is the character Adam Warlock, who I don't know much about, but I do know was grown in like a pod by, what's her name, Elizabeth Debicki? Is that the tall gal? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So she's the gold gal from Guardians 2. And she grew Adam Warlock in a little chamber. The whole point is he's supposed to be a perfect being, like a perfect living entity. I don't really know much beyond that other than that he's a space wizard, which is cool. The point is that tells me that that movie is probably going to touch on the idea that Chris Pratt Star-Lord thinks he's really cool and thinks that he's half robot god Kurt Russell, man. And is, you know, the coolest captain that ever lived and he should be captain and Thor shouldn't, etc. But that he's going to be confronted with like an actual created entity and that that's how they're going to basically talk about the fact that Kurt Russell is not a celestial. The reason they're going to do that thematically for the movie, though, is to talk about is like to finally bring the finish to Star-Lord's entire journey, which is to realize that Star-Lord itself is like a thing that needs to die and that he needs to accept that he's just a normal guy. And that there's value in that, but that he is a normal man. This is so good. I can't believe we're giving it away for free. I hope that's the answer. And I hope it's not stupider than that. <laughs> uh, Mr. Gunn, if you want to borrow that, you can. Go for it. Man, we assume a lot of people listen to this podcast. Chloe Xiao, Feige. AMC. Uh, the entire AMC, corporation. And also the guy who plays Adam Warlock. <laughs> um, yeah, that was my biggest complaint in the movie, but it sounds like you fixed it. So I guess I'm back to being on board. Um, 
Yeah, I will. This is the biggest spoiler of the entire movie. Nope, that's not true. There's a bigger one. There's a Harry Styles size spoiler for this movie. Yeah. Which, did you care about that at all? Are you? I mean, not until it happened. For like a second, my heart rate spiked. I was like, "What is going on? Like, is he in here now? Like, he's in it, in it." But then I, I, I left the theater and forgot about it a little bit. So here's my thing. I kind of forget who Harry Styles is because I don't pay attention to pop culture, as you know, because you're my pop culture, like, guide. Yes. Um, so when he came on screen, like, I knew it was Harry Styles, but in my mind, I was like, oh, cool. The guy from Dunkirk. <laughs> like, <laughs> I was just excited that the actor from the movie Dunkirk was going to be in Marvel. I was like, that's good for him. Good job. I enjoy being and... <laughs> friends with you because sometimes I remember that there are different perspectives to life. Yep. That's what I mean. I was like, yeah, that's nice for him. I'm glad that he's like doing that. That's cool. And the rest of the audience was like, blah, 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 what? Here's the best part, though, is that that happened. And I was like, cool, whatever. And then 30 seconds later, my entire life shattered and I was reborn anew, much like Adam Warlock. When Kid Harrington is talking about something that just doesn't matter and he's looking at a sword that I don't care about. And then the undeniable velvet voice of two-time Academy Award winner Mahershala Ali came on screen. I was waiting for you to bring that up. I mean, that sounds like they they looked up, like, what would make Eric really happy in the dictionary? And yeah. And threw it in there. Yeah. And, and I'm not saying I could see everyone in the theater, but I looked around. My head was on a swivel. We're not on stadium seating. We were in flat seating because the chairs tipped back which means I could see everybody if I stared at them. And guess who else reacted? Nobody. Because nobody else seemed to realize that that was the voice of two-time Academy Award winner Mahershala Ali, who is going to play Blade, which is one of my all-time favorite characters of anything ever. Because Wesley Snipes in a trench coat chopping vampires up with a katana is the coolest thing that's ever existed and probably will ever exist. So that obviously, I think that movie, that does drag my rating to three for this movie. I think it drags it from a two to a three. <laughs> I'm going to go back on what I said at the beginning. Um, that spoiler-free section, you guys can jump to the end here. It's actually a three-star movie because Mahershala Ali is in it technically, sort of. I lost my mind. I want to be clear. I lost it. And it was so funny because the rest of the theater, when Harry Styles showed up, freaked out. And 30 seconds later, nobody said a word. It was just me going, what? Uh, uh. Was that Mahershala? Like out loud. And everyone else is just like, mm, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so that's Marvel's The Eternals. <laughs> All right. That'll do us for tonight. And The Eternals, uh, this has been a pleasure as always. Uh, I hope everybody gets to see it if you want and enjoys it. Um, probably for free on Disney Plus would be my recommendation. But uh, yeah. I don't know. We had fun. I think that's a fine way to say it, right? We had fun. We did. It's fine enough. <laughs> um, the most important thing coming out of this is that I'm very excited for Blade. I think that's really the point of this whole episode. And uh, <laughs> yeah, you can listen to us talk more about Blade uh, on any podcast platform, Spotify, etc. Probably the best place to find where we're at is if you went to our Patreon, patreon.com slash A-Y-S-W, um, as that has the episode links and has the links to, have, you know, where we have it. We're also on Twitter, Twitter at A-Y-S-W-Pod. If you like what we do, go support us on Patreon. We'd really appreciate that. You can also just tell your friends about us and they can listen to us muse about Blade 
and Mahershala Ali. Um, you could leave a rating on Apple Podcasts. That'd be awesome too. Have a good night, all, and uh, good luck when the Celestial cracks out of the earth and everything.